Hello, La Liga fans, and welcome to the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. My name is Alex Comsia, and I'm excited to be joined by El Profesor, Chris Mumford. How you doing, Chris? Fabuloso. Thanks for asking. We also got current <laughs> pro defender DJ Taylor in the house. Thanks for joining us, DJ, and how are you doing? I'm good, man. It's a blessing to be on, be on here. Awesome. Next up, Rudy Voler on deck from England. A warm welcome. Thanks for joining us, Rudy. Thank you for having me. And of course, we have Scott Martin, who maybe is smiling just a little bit extra today because of what's happening at the top of the La Liga table. How's it going, Scott? Oh, big grin. Love that game. Love the result. Yeah, not so good for Barca fans like myself, but uh, it's been a hectic week in La Liga with plenty of entertainment. Uh, big news coming in that Barca have signed Pjanic from Juventus in a swap deal with uh, Arthur. So, DJ, as a player, what are some of the biggest challenges that you need to overcome right away when you join a new team, especially towards the end of a season or the later part of a season? I think just getting used to your coach and your teammates is probably the one of the biggest transitions, you know, just feeling comfortable and, and not being nervous. I think, especially with big transfers, you know, some players might be nervous that they might not play or whatever. I think it's just being comfortable with where you are and you got to transition to a new team. And at the end of the day, you just have to get along with, with the coaches and the players. So it sounds like relationships are, are massive. And I, I completely agree. Just getting on the individual uh, relationships, individual conversations, you know, right back with the center back, like, like me and yourself, you know, how you connect with your midfielders, your goalkeeper. It's all, it's all super crucial. So guys, let's jump right into the recaps here, starting with Celta Vigo versus Barca, a two, two score, you know, Celta Vigo should have won this match at the very end, uh, at the beginning a beautiful free kick by Messi into Suarez's head. It looks like Barca definitely learned from the Sevilla game where Koundé dropped off the wall and headed Messi's free kick out of the top corner. Celta Vigo dropped their line way too early, which kept Suarez onside for an easy header. Suarez was fantastic in this game. Not so much in the Atletico game. But uh, look, to highlight here, Umtiti and Piquet's partnership was not great. And to highlight Celta Vigo's first goal, to paint a picture, Umtiti gets caught overstepping way too high to press the forward but also Piquet is just too far away from him from him to cover that space in behind so Celta Vigo and Aspas in particular gets right in behind and it's, and it's an easy you know assist cross for him so DJ again you know I've seen you run back and make these you know incredible track back runs where you have no business getting back there if, an, if a center back like myself oversteps and misreads the ball, what's your mentality right away to close down that space or to track back that winger? What are you looking for? What are you thinking about? I think the first, the first reaction is to take that first step at an angle back to cover you. Um, I think obviously if you take a wrong step to the left or to the right, that one second can cost you from being able to read the play or be able to catch that winger. So I think obviously here PK's, First step is is decent, but he's just in the wrong position. He needs to be tucked in more. As soon as I see you, for example, fly forward, my first step is to my left. As a right back, I step to my left and I tuck in immediately. I think that's the fastest recovery for you to make a play. Spot on. And then 
unbelievable goal from Suarez, guys. What, what do you think about that? I mean, he, this, the way he just turns and shoots with his left foot on a dime. You know, the center back was touched tight to him. You know, I don't think it was particularly bad defending. What, what do you guys think? I got to tell you, I absolutely hate um, strikers that can that can make moves like that because as a goalkeeper, you get zero reaction time, right? And I just love the way Suarez plays because whatever it takes, doesn't have to be pretty. You don't get extra points for that. You get points for putting it back at the end of the net. And uh, I don't think the defender had a whole lot of time to react. And the keeper certainly was was just basically standing there. Right. And then the free kick right at the end, Chris, what, what would you say to Griezmann at the end? How, how is the wall set up? You know, what do you, what do you think about that goal? Well, I think it's a couple of mistakes. Number one is I think the wall uh, probably should have been at least one person over to the right to cover that near post. Um, so I, I put some of the blame on, on the keeper, which, as you know, I absolutely hate doing. But the, the second thing is, is if, if you look at the, uh, the highlight, Griezmann is jumping inwards, upwards right. and inwards. Right. And what's the point of being the wall if you're going to do that, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, I didn't go to be in a wall school, right, um, because I was usually setting them up. But somewhere along the line, I imagine you all learn that you need to jump. If you're going to jump, jump straight up. Uh, right. And, um, you know, it's it's – I don't know what to say, but, but that being said, as with most goals in life in general, it's usually a series of small little mistakes that lead to uh, either a, a great thing or a bad thing or a goal happening. Exactly. I can imagine Ter Stegen had a word with, with Griezmann right after. Um, and then you look, again, another tie against Atletico just finished up uh, 2-2. What a game. It was an electric start. Um, I thought VAR and, and soft PKs are the, the main talking point here. Messi gets his 700th goal finally after a three-game uh, goalless streak. And um, Chris, w- w- what do you think about um, Ter Stegen's second pk you know he's he's off the line var calls it back and he has to redo the pk do we ever see that called um i usually attribute that to bad refing um but in the era of of var i mean i you look at the probabilities if it were my way i'd like to go back to the old nasl 35 yards out 1v1 to determine uh any fouls in the in the pk box but fifa's not returning my calls yet (laughs) but um yeah no it's 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 a heartbreaker because He's so amped up, and then you have to get up and do it again. And more importantly, you're being self-conscious about having to keep one foot on the line, and he's just completely out of it. So um, real real heartbreaker, but rules the rules, right? I mean, uh, you know, I, I probably have more uh, disputes with, with the PKs. Uh, you know, I right. just... I didn't realize that that we were playing touch soccer. Uh, I did, I, it's it's a it's a new game that I, I I'm just learning about. But I've just never seen so many soft PKs given in one match. In one match, yeah, it, it felt like a record. So as I was watching the game, I was thinking that you know Barca puts so much responsibility on players like Semedo in the right back position. But the interesting thing about Barca is that they have the least amount of crosses in La Liga. 
So DJ, as a right back, you know, let's say you're in the Barca system, you're playing for Semedo. One day you will be. And you're, you're in that system. Barca tries to play centrally, but all the space is out wide, yet nobody's in the box. You know, you only see Suarez by himself against, against three players. What is your thought process? Are you just trying to cut the ball back, going 1v1s? What do you think? I think, especially uh, watching the second half of Barca Atletico Madrid, you can tell when Semedo gets the ball wide. He he looks up, but he never sees anything. He just sees Suarez with two, three defenders around him. So I think the system allows him most times, which is what he did in the second half, was to either drive and take someone on 1v1 and get down to the line for a cutback or to just combine the midfield and then him break the line as a winger. So I think it's uh, it's interesting, like you said, that they don't have the most amount of crosses, but they're very versatile in Semedo has the, the freedom to just take players on and do what he wants and then also get him behind as a winger. So it's kind of right. interesting. And how does that, how does that affect his, his defensive responsibilities? Because, he, he, like you said, he's pretty much playing like a winger. Is the responsibility for him to just to come back and track back, or is he covered? What, what do you think? I think also, obviously, with the system and the way that they're playing, it leaves it kind of open. Like, as you can see, Atletico Madrid is exposing the counterattack as soon as – as soon as Barca lost possession, Atletico Madrid was exploiting the flanks, uh, getting in behind PK or whether that was uh, Ling Lei tracking back. Um, obviously, in this picture, as we see, you got Jordi Alba at wide too. They put both wingbacks really high up and forward. So with Carrasco, especially on left, Atletico Madrid, it leaves them very exposed for the, the counterattack. Exactly. So Scott, as a, as a biased neutral of sorts, what was your take on the tactics of the match? So these are pretty common tactics we see for Barcelona and uh, shameless plug. Uh, I included them on a magazine piece on uh, the return of the triangle or the pyramid offense mm -hmm. in, in the game. Um, so one of the features is that you need those two outside backs to get way up the field to play high and wide. But then if you're going to do that, how does the rest of the team shape compensate? So if you're going to have Semedo and Alba play right in line with the forwards, or, you know, if, uh, you know, Messi drops back into the midfield, Vidal steps up, so, you know, one less pressing player in the midfield. How do those remaining players, uh, you know, two center backs, the other two midfielders, uh, compensate for the wide attacking play? I just, I don't think Barca's figured that out with their, their rest defense. Um, and, you know, with the attack, one thing that I'm seeing is that they are either all or nothing in the middle of the field. So in this play, uh, you know, we've got Suarez as the lone runner behind the line. But when Barca built centrally, you've got four or five players sitting right there trying to break through, you know, an Atletico Madrid wall, which is just not going to happen. Um, so I, the lack of balance is a bit disconcerting. Um, you know, as far as Atletico Madrid goes, we knew what they were going to do. We knew they were going to sit back and counter. And they found those pockets of space behind outside backs, which I, I thought they did well to, uh, to penetrate in those areas. And just as a closing point, I thought that you know, not starting Ansu Fati was, was a mistake. Um, yeah. and, and the positive here is I thought Ricky Puch was, was fantastic in the midfield role, the way, he, the way he drives forward and tries to combine. So hopefully Barcelona can build on that. But Scott, let's transition to Real Madrid. They're in such great form. Uh, what ended up happening in the Espanol and Mallorca games? So there were two very professional performances. Uh, it was one of those, 
well, I guess two of those types of games where there wasn't a whole lot risked, but they, they got the reward in the end. So, you know, with uh, the game against Mallorca, they got their uh, their first half goal. It ended up winning 2 nothing. They didn't have to take a lot of chances and really did not concede many uh, to Mallorca. So for me, I think the... Uh, the, the more interesting game was was probably the one against Espanola, and not because Real Madrid was so impressive tactically, um, but really just the way they carried themselves about it. it. It really was a match where they did just enough to to get the result. Uh, it was interesting to see Hazard get the start. I thought this and Benzema actually this really seemed like a good chance to rest them uh, ahead of this this tough stretch we've got. But you know, we did see Hazard tend to drop into the midfield a little bit more, connect with um, Casemiro, Cruz. Uh, we had Valverde switching off with Isco on the, the right-hand side. So there was some tactical rotation there, which I found interesting. It was nice to see Marcelo get high up the pitch and you know, wreak havoc. Um, but yeah, I mean, just overall, very professional performances. Uh, in each of the games against Mallorca, um, Real Madrid held Mallorca to 0.55 xG and Espanol to 0.51. So few chances, not a whole lot of quality on the opportunities. And I, I think that's fine with Zidane. You know, he's, he's resting up for this next run. Awesome. So switching over to an awesome game, Valencia Villarreal. Uh, Rudy, this is always a tough matchup. What worked well for Villarreal in this match, besides the amazing goals? Yeah, I mean, I think you've touched on the point there that there were two moments of real genuine quality that obviously decided the game. Um, the little magician, Santi Cazorla, with one of the best touches and assists you'll see this season, that laid it off to Gerard Moreno with an unbelievable volley. And the first goal was Gerard Moreno finding Alcacer in space in the box with another exceptional volley into the corner. So I think they were kind of, as you pointed out, the two moments of magic in the game that really did decide it. But as you can see here in the picture, most of the kind of attacking play from Villarreal came in, in the space between um, Daniel Vaz and Dani Perejo in the midfield. Um, you can see Hugo Guillamon there in the picture pointing, basically getting Daniel Vaz to get over to Alcacer. Um, time and time again, he found space in that gap in between the defence and midfield which were Villarreal were excellent at kind of exposing it. And Valencia looked quite tired, if I'm being honest. Um, during the game, they just lacked kind of the same aggression off the ball that Villarreal had and often left spaces in between the lines. And I think something needs to be said about, yeah, Gerard Moreno, because he's such a tricky, tricky player. He's playing up front with Paco Alcacer there, but he's receiving the ball kind of so deep and in Chukwese's position on the right-hand side. Um, he's the kind of player where you don't know whether he's coming or going and he's got that technical ability to just play anywhere along the pitch with the ball and he also scores a goal as you saw later on in the game as well so I think Valencia just overall didn't really kind of cope with Villarreal in between the lines and the fact that they had the technical ability when they when they set Valencia up to kind of pick that pinpoint pass and have that crucial touch to actually make it into a goal scoring opportunity rather than just keeping um, pressure and having possession but yeah, that was basically the main kind of area where, where Valencia were weak and Villarreal were able to expose them. Were you impressed by their performance defensively as well? I know we always talk about 
know, how good they are offensively, but how, do, how yeah. what was your opinion on their defensive performance? They've been, they've been really solid Villarreal since coming back off the restart. I think they've had three or four clean sheets now with that game in, in five games. Um, and one thing they've done well, which Valencia weren't able to do was press. Um, they were good at, at kind of making Valencia move the ball quickly. They weren't afraid to go and, and, kind of leave their own man and move up to move up the pitch level, kind of make the game as high as possible for them. So that's one thing that, that they definitely did a lot better than Valencia. They seem to just have a lot more energy and that's probably coming from confidence of keeping three clean sheets. That then and then as a as a player, your mentality is to then take a risk and move on to one player and play higher up the pitch and not sit in and get behind the ball. So yeah, defensively they've been they've been brilliant since coming back. Well it is a race for those Europa League spots. Uh, Scott, we had the Getafe versus Real Sociedad game. A big matchup here with two teams that are you know, so close. They're just competing for that Europa League spot. How did this game play out? Boy, that was a physical game. Uh, there were a few scuffles at points during this match. A lot of elbows as they went up for headers. Uh, so tension was high in this one. And uh, just a lot of contact as well. Mostly coming from the the Getafe side. So uh, when we you know, paint this picture of what Getafe's rest defense looked like, and, and we were talking earlier uh, off camera, that they only had 40% possession. So the emphasis was on a very direct style, uh, very true to form. So, you know, in this, uh, just before halftime, we saw a situation in which uh, Real Sociedad was trying to build out on the, the right-hand side and uh, just really had a tough time settling the ball. And then when they finally did, they finally got that pass off to try and uh, uh, make a little bit of progress with the pitch. Uh, Gitape was right there in numbers to just crash on the, the ball carrier. So they poked it free. Um, you know, they, they were able to, uh, to avert any danger. But the big point here is Gitape is just so extremely compact. There's no way through uh, that defense you know, when, uh, when you're unable to dictate from the attack, when you're unable to really get settled. And we didn't really see that from Real Sociedad. They, they, you know, they had a lot of possession, but uh, never really in, in dangerous positions. Uh, you know, in terms of the, the XG for the match, you know, we're talking 0.44 for Real Sociedad to Getafe's 1.31. So... This is a Sociedad side that has stumbled back from the break. And it's very clear today or in this matchup that uh, they were not comfortable, not in sync, and Getafe made them very uncomfortable with their compact play. Yeah, I got to tell you, I was amazed. I mean, if, if uh, Real Sociedad had 60% possession and only one shot on goal versus Getafe had 40% and four shots on goal. And that's a head-scratcher, seeing how Atafe's got 52% success rate in terms of passing. I, I, that makes for, for an awkward game of sorts. And um, unfortunately, I think Real Sociedad is, is, is taking on some real water uh, in, in their bid for Champions or Europa. Yeah, they're sinking quickly. And, I mean, when you watch this Getafe team play, I mean, if Jurgen Klopp's teams are heavy metal, Getafe is in the mosh pit, you know, breaking tables <laughs> and chairs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they are so physical, so intense. And, you know, they've had a couple of disappointing results, but, um, you know, they're, they're starting to find a little bit of form. And when we look at the, the XG that they've produced, 
uh, on average in these five games back, sitting at 1.37, which which is a respectable total. So they're getting their chances. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Rudy, you you uh, went to a fair number of Hitafe games. Um, what what were your experiences like there? It's an unbelievable small club in Madrid. Um, I mean, most people from the UK, um, from England, where I've gone out watching football, probably won't even have known who Hitafe were until a couple of seasons ago, until they realised that they were playing Ajax in the Europa League just before the restart, um, just before kind of all of this football stopped. But they're a small club, they're kind of like a family club. They only have a, a small stadium with 20-odd thousand seats, the Alfonso Coliseum. Um, but their their fans appreciate hard work and kind of um, making sure that there's not a single ball that isn't challenged. That's what Hatafe is all about. They remind me a lot of Burnley in, in England, in the Premier League, uh, in the way that they go about the ball. They play on knock-ons. They, they press well as a team. They're compact off the ball. They kind of rely on, on chance in a lot of ways and kind of percentage play that they like. They have two big strikers that flick the ball on. They, they get up the pitch well together. They were kind of rely on opportunities to come not from their creativity, but from their hard work. And you can definitely tell that their fans, when you, you go to a game, they appreciate that. They're, they're not expecting a Ronaldo or a Messi or a, a Griezmann. They know they're not going to get that from Hitafe, but if they know that there's a 50-50 header to be won and their player's going to go up and get it, then that's what gets them going. And, and you can see that that reflects in the way they play. They make games uncomfortable and their fans love it. Beautiful. Hey, DJ, you've spent a f- some time in Spain, considerable time. I mean, what's, what's your take on literally being on the pitch and the style of play there? And uh, w- what's your take on that? I mean, just La Liga as a league, you can see all the teams have a specific way of playing. And I think especially with the Spanish style, it's, it's great to see the ideas that each team has and how they transform it to a system that they like to play. Um, like you said, Getafe is about the fight and grit. Then you got Barca who plays, you know, play through lines and stuff like that. Then you got Atletico, who's very compact defensively, but is also very attacking at the same time. So I think being in Spain and learning the culture there and learning the styles, it was an amazing experience. But I also think La Liga as a, as a league is one of the top leagues that kind of goes, uh, you know, unnoticed as a top league because people don't, you know, usually turn into a La Liga game unless it's, you know, Barca, Atletico or, or Real Madrid. But in reality, you can learn a lot from watching La Liga and, and the different teams and setups. DJ, so, as, as a follow-up there, sorry. DJ, as a follow-up there, you know, you obviously played for, I think it's Torre Levante. Is that, is that the team? Yeah. Torre Levante. Um, fatigue seems to be a reoccurring you know, topic when we talk about these, these set of games here, especially for teams that are in Europa League or, or they're fighting for, for the top spot like Barca and Madrid. While you were over there, did you see any different approaches to the recovery process uh, or even in their mentality and in, in, in the approach to recovery um, that you don't see here in the United States or North America? Um, I would say mainly the difference between the coaches would be that in America, it's a lot more physical for sure. Um, it's all about how fast you are, how strong you can get. In Spain, it's not really about that, you know. In the preseason, you know, in America, you're just running. In Spain, you always have a ball at your feet. You may be running, but you always have a ball at your feet. And, you know, Spain, it's just like the culture. They just they love to play with the ball. They love to grow with the ball. Whatever it is, it's always with the ball. So I think that could be a possibility of why teams are fatigued because they don't really look at it as a physical game. It's more of players that can be crafty and play. Um, 
So, yeah, I think obviously with the games adding up, they do focus on recovery a little bit, but I think it obviously adds up, especially when you watch, you know, like a La Liga team play uh, against an English team. You know, the English team is very fit. They can go for a long time. But obviously they kind of make up with it with their craft and their skill and their technical ability. So it's interesting to see them go against each other. Appreciate, appreciate that insight, DJ. So DJ is going to hop off before we preview some matches. Just want to thank you for your time and hope to see you soon, DJ. Take care. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. All right, guys. Let's transition and, and preview some matches here, some really important ones uh, coming up. Scott, can you kick us off with the Madridistas taking on Getafe on Thursday? What should we expect? Definitely another physical game. Uh, so I think, oddly enough, Real Madrid's faced a few uh, 4-4-2s in the restart. So I think they'll be very comfortable with the, the setup for Getafe. Uh, it'll just be a matter of adapting to their, their pace of play, uh, the counter press, the aggression. Um, interestingly enough, when they did play uh, last time in Getafe, Real Madrid really was very op opportunistic, uh, took advantage of a couple of set pieces from Rafael Varane. But for the most part, it was a pretty evenly played game. Um, Getafe, you know, once Real Madrid was able to settle into the attacking half, Getafe would drop back, they would be a little more compact, deny space between the lines. And Real Madrid found it difficult not only to get between the lines, but also to make the runs behind. So it'll be interesting to see what this looks like with uh, Benicius Jr., who's in very good form, um, with Aiden Hazard, who should hopefully be in that lineup. So I think if they can have Hazard and Benzema working off of each other, that'll create a little bit of space for Benicius to, to make his runs off the ball. And... Um, you know, from Getafe's perspective, I think they're looking for a Madrid mistake. So this is a side that that does at times get too comfortable on the ball. Um, they will make some some poor mistakes, or you know, if they they do have a, a long spell of attack, they get a little too far forward and maybe not recover quite as well. Uh, which is why I think you'll see Mendy instead of Marcelo. Um, but Getafe, I think, will be very active in playing that that direct pass forward, looking to set the second ball and then have the likes of Mark Cucurella, um run onto the, the ball and, and look to drive at the back line with fewer players in front of him. Right. So this is an open question to, to all of you. You're the Hatafe manager. Real Madrid is playing the way they're playing right now really, really well. How would you approach the game in terms of a press in the first 20 minutes? I'd press them. Oh, okay. Hi. Yeah, as, as well as Ganafe Press, uh, I want to make Real Madrid feel very uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, one thing I will say about Ganafe, I, I do at times appreciate their, uh, we'll call it old school <laughs> style of play. Right. Uh, you know, give, give a little kick, uh, especially if some momentum's going against you. So I think they're going to bring that intensity and physicality very early on. And, uh, you know, let Real Madrid know they're not going to back down. Um, this is going to be a dogfight. Yeah, I think they'll look so much to disrupt Madrid's rhythm. Um, and with Madrid, it kind of, you've, everyone knows how good Real Madrid are playing out of the press. I mean, they've come to a point where it's impossible to press a team who has Sergio Ramos as a centre-back and Marcelo as a left-back who can play out of a, a small circle like a hula hoop. They, they could do anything <laughs> with the ball. But I think one thing Hetafe will certainly do 
is make sure that Real Madrid don't kind of counter on them when they press. If if there's a player that needs to be fouled, Atafi won't be scared to to foul them and take an early an early book in. Um, so I think yeah, one way that they can go about getting away with pressing is making fouls and disrupting the rhythm. And Real Madrid with players like Casemiro, with players like Ramos, they go down very easily, very quickly. So they kind of if they can keep that going and keep stopping the rhythm, then they could potentially wind some Real Madrid players up and and then kind of play on a chance from a throw-in or a corner or a set-piece. But it will be a difficult game for them because Real Madrid are flying at the moment and you feel like they can just turn it on at any second and with the technical quality they have, they can they can play around any press if they have to. Yeah, Rudy, to your point, Getafe leads La Liga in both fouls and yellow cards. So yeah. if that press doesn't work, you're going down. I mean, they, yeah. they will take you to ground. You're not running at that back line. <laughs> but again, <laughs> kind of appreciate all right, Rudy, we got a tough matchup in Atletico Madrid versus Mallorca. How do they match up against each other? You know, they're obviously on different sides of, of the table. Yeah. I mean, this was probably a kind of textbook Atletico Madrid 1-0 win against the team. Usually we, when Atletico Madrid play the teams in the lower half of the league, they just go out and do their job, win 1-0, keep a clean sheet. Oblak makes a couple of saves and... It's usually one of the strikers chips in with a scrappy goal and that's it, job done. Um, they never seem to, apart from a game recently where they won 6-0 six, six away from home, I think it was against Osasuna. Um, uh, yeah, usually Atletico Madrid just kind of get the job done against these lower league teams. And you would have probably said that would have happened until earlier when I discovered that Mallorca went out and blitzed Celta Vigo 5-1. Um, Mallorca have had a kind of weird experiences to restart obviously they're in the bottom three they're, they're five points behind Celta Vigo but they've only really played two teams around them in the league and that was Leganes and Celta Vigo they drew one and won the other game they've had such hard fixtures they've played Real Madrid they've played Barcelona I mean they've got Atletico Madrid now I think they'll be looking at it as a kind of game where Atletico Madrid are going to turn up and beat us they're just too good for us but having just beaten Celta Vigo 5-1 they might kind of think we've got nothing to lose here and, and the technical players like Kubo may may be able to come out of the show and really give Atletico Madrid a go. I think it's a, a game where they can just go for it. They should press, they should play higher, they should take their man on one-on-one. They've got nothing to lose in this game. And Atletico Madrid, yeah, sometimes they they kind of get in these, this mindset when they play against lower teams and don't seem to be able to, to break them down and, and pick that final pass. So potentially it, it could be a, a kind of a slip up for Atletico Madrid but if they get an early goal that game will change completely because you won't be scoring against Atletico Madrid Alex I got a question for you so yeah. after this big game against Barcelona uh, you know a solid draw what do you think the players mentality looks like uh, going into this this matchup against the bottom feeder you know it could sway you know, I don't think it will um, I think they'll gain confidence because, you know, they could have won against Barcelona. I thought Carrasco was incredible today. Um, Felix coming off the bench, I think he'll end up actually starting. So I think he'll be a difference maker in that, in that game. Um, I, I don't see Mallorca causing them that many issues. You know, we, we talked about them as a potential um, problem for Barcelona. It, it really wasn't. Kubo has his moments, but I think he will be not easily shut down, but he'll be shut down by Atletico's defense. You know, he'll have his, his spurs, his, his nice dribbling moments, but then the final product won't be there, in my opinion. 
Uh, I hope that I'm that I'm wrong and Mallorca does pull the upset. But in terms of a player's mentality, I don't I don't think that will that will that will change that much. So so yeah, Chris, I need you to end the debate, man. Is Oblak the best goalkeeper in La Liga with the way Ter Stegen's playing? You know something, I I'm going to make a confession to y'all. I think I might have rather watched paint dry today than watch that game, uh, largely because it was three P- PKs and a uh, a, sh- a shot to the near post or that but that went between somebody's legs. I mean, that, if, yeah. if you put any other jersey on and said, "Hey, Chris, would you rather watch paint dry or would you rather watch three PKs and 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 that and you know, I will tell you, Der Stegen or Ter Stegen's distribution to me, as usual, is absolute. It's it's just flat out fun to watch. So I love these matches because it it really pits. I've got four favorite keepers on the planet, and two of them happen to be playing against each other. I think Oblak is is a better, a little better shot stopper, and I think Ter Stegen is a is a maybe a step better in distribution. Um, you know, Oblak has a tendency to play a little higher line out. And I, I respect the fact that large keepers are like, you know something, I'm going to give up that 0.03 seconds per yard and be able to cover a little more of my corners versus, you know, a Ter Stegen who's going to hang back and hope that his reaction gets him to where he is. Right. So, um, you know, today I just I, – I wish I could see these guys. I mean, it's like taking a Ferrari and just driving across the street and parking. It's like, no, 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 no. Show me what they can do, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oblak did have one nice play, right? That, um, That's free kick, one, right? One point I really want to, to highlight is he saw that um, – he already had anticipated on that set piece that that was going to upper left-hand corner. He was already moving in that direction. That's yeah. why I had to reach back the other direction. And, you know, I really think that keepers in, in those set-piece situations, if they want to have a shot, they've got to make their anticipation. They've got to commit to their gut and go for it. Fortunately, I had the wherewithal to do that. So um, thank you for letting me go down my goalkeeper uh, rabbit hole again uh, this week. But, um, yeah, it was tough, tough to see the Ferrari and Lamborghini just sit there. Two of the best in the business for sure. So, Scott, Real Madrid faces a big test against Athletic Club on Sunday. It's less than three days of recovery. So, what what can we expect there in that game? Yeah, like you said, it's three days recovery and against two very physical, very defensive teams. So, uh, two big tests for Real Madrid. Uh, Getafe does seem to be finding their form, and Bill uh, Bao, to their credit, they really came out of the gate hot. So uh, for a team that really doesn't score many goals, they've, they've grabbed five in the seven games, which isn't bad, but uh, you know they're still racking up a, a pretty respectable expected goals tally per match. Um, they have the two wins and two draws, so I think this will be another very difficult matchup for Real Madrid. Um, when you look at the setup, Again, 4-4-2 for Athletic Bilbao. Um, they will try to play through Anaki Williams up top. Although, we'll see how effective they are uh, playing through Williams. He hasn't had the best season. He's going up against, you know, in all likelihood, Ramos and Veron again. So I, 
I think they'll struggle to score against Real Madrid. Um, but in turn, I think Real Madrid will also find it very difficult to break down a very disciplined Bilbao team. So, yeah, very, very big match. And, uh, you know, one they won't look forward to after getting roughed up by Getafe. Is it safe to say if they get through those two matches successfully that they will win La Liga? And, and Well, then they have Granada and Villarreal. <laughs> so they have four very difficult games. And I'll, I'll say if they win those four, they get to the, the last week in four-point lead, one play. <laughs> <laughs> Locked in. I like how you take big chances, you know, big bets there, Scott. You know, I'll say it right now. We're winning the league. Pack it up, Barca. (laughs) Rudy, any any predictions? La Liga's done. La Liga's done. Yeah. I'm just just in denial right now as a Barcelona (laughs) fan. I just think whoever t- whichever team out of Barcelona and Madrid dropped the first point, that was it. That neither Real Madrid are going to let that go now. There's no chance. Yeah, and speaking of Barcelona, um, they they face a tough Villarreal team, like you like you said, uh, Rudy, on Sunday, which I'm I'm very excited for. Um, particularly Casorla is playing excellent. Um, I do think though that. Barcelona lines up very well against Villarreal because a lot of the the play is central. I think the teams that have been playing well against Barcelona as of late, Sevilla, Atletico Madrid, even Celta Vigo, a lot of success has been in those wide areas. So I think, I'm hoping as a Barcelona fan, if they can take care of Casorla in the middle of the field and, and collapse and press better than they have been as of late within that, um, that's the central space, then I think they will have success against Villarreal. For sure, they can't slip up. You know, they couldn't slip up today, but they did. Um, but a couple interesting stats I wanted to highlight for Villarreal here. They're third in La Liga in shots on target per match, only behind Barcelona and Real Madrid. And they're also third in goals per match, which I didn't even know, only behind Barcelona and Real Madrid. So they will for sure cause problems. For Barcelona, and we will have to see if, if they're going to get the, those shots on goal. They'll have less possession, like always, uh, for sure. But uh, we'll see what, what happens if, uh, if Ansu Fati starts, if, if Puj gets to start as well. Um, we will have to see, guys. But look, La Liga seems to, be, seems to be done for Barcelona, unfortunately. But we still got a couple games to play out. So switching over here to you know the last few games, Chris, strength of schedule coming up. What's your thoughts on it? Well, for better or for worse, I I don't know if I've got a a lot more than – let's just kind of walk through this here. Um, Real Madrid, first of all, they've come back and they've taken care of business, right? They've taken 15 out of 15 points. And that's kind of how you win leagues when you do that, right? Barca stumbled a couple of times. Um, Atletico Madrid has done a a fine job, right, only – giving up two points. Sevilla just got stuck in neutral. Somebody did not send them the email uh, that, this, that things have started. Um, and then you look at, at really the, the contenders for Europa and those that like to scratch their way into champions. Real Sociedad and Valencia have just, they're just taken on water in a huge way. Um, and, you know, Hatafe hasn't exactly been killing it. You know, they've, they've dropped, they've had three ties and dropped one match, but they're still maintaining their position. 
and Villarreal has made a, a nice little push up the table with a few wins. So Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, fantastic start. Real Sociedad, Valencia, bad start. Hatafe, even though it's a bad start, they haven't been punished with the points because people below them have been taking their punches. Um, and then as far as going forward, uh, you look at what's in the schedule there. I disagree. Um, I, I think that, you know, Real Madrid is, has, has got, you know, they've got a couple of tough games, but um, Atletico, they just got past Barca today. They've, they've probably got the easiest schedule. And Barca, you know, they've got um, maybe one difficult match. So, you know, I, I just wonder what these tired legs are going are, are gonna to bring in the next few weeks. Um, where a, a, a speed bump gets hit somewhere. I, I still think that there are going to be a couple of wild cards that are going to happen. I don't know what they are, to be honest with you. But I, all I do know is that um, Villarreal and Real Sociedad have got a lot of work ahead of them and maybe too, too late for Real Sociedad and, and Valencia at this point. Uh, Scott, what's, what's your take? So. Real Sociedad has to get the train back on track really quickly, but given this, uh, how difficult a schedule Villarreal have, I do think they still have a chance to jump into a Europa League spot. Um, Barcelona's got to close it out. Um, I think they match up very well against Villarreal. This is a side that will like to be a little bit more expansive in attack, and that's really when Barcelona's at their best. I, I don't like them against the low block. I like them against expansive teams. So I think Barcelona, um, I'd be surprised if they drop any points from here on out. Um, maybe the same thing from Atletico. But yeah, definitely difficult. I would say a difficult schedule for Real Madrid. Um, but I think ultimately their depth carries them through. Uh, Alex, I, I don't know um, what you think about this, but my impression is that we are starting to see slower matches yeah. Um, maybe not quite the dynamism that we saw a week or two ago. And I do wonder if the lack of rotation that you know, these, these sides can offer, if that's starting to catch up to teams. It's funny because you, yourself, Chris, and Sam have all been talking about it. And, and I'm a player, so I like to just put that aside and ignore it and ignore all the soreness and ignore the fatigue and just say, let's get on with it. Maybe <laughs> I'm being a little unrealistic there. And I'll continue no, be as a player because they to, have to be it's good to be in your early 20s you know <laughs> so. exactly yeah <laughs> but you're absolutely spot on there you know there seems to be some fatigue you know there's there's little little injuries there sloppy fouls typically when you see fatigue is in the sloppy fouls when mm -hmm. When players are not moving their feet, especially defenders, are not moving their feet in the same, you know, quick type of energy and movement to keep up with players, and they're just reaching. I mean, look at Vidal today sliding in. Like, I don't know why he's sliding in like that. But that's typical Vidal. But, yeah, I mean, the fatigue is, is going to play a role as much as those players will tell you otherwise, as much as they will say they have the best recovery, the best doctors, the best processes in the world and the best, you know, a, a, an athlete's mentality, a player's mentality. So I don't know, Rudy, if you have any conflicting views on that or you agree. No, I, I think also one thing that needs highlighting is mental fatigue. When you come towards the end of the season, 
looking at the game tonight, three penalties that gave that were given were given away. Although they were soft penalties, it's from a player not being in the right position at the right time. It's just yeah. then having to, to track back even quicker. That's what Semedo did when he gave away his penalty. That's what Vidal did. He had, he had a last ditch attempt to make a tackle because he wasn't in the right position. So I think mental fatigue is a huge thing, and I, I guess those with squads that have the biggest rotation that have got players fighting for places and things will be able to come through. Atletico Madrid brought on Lamar, Vitolo, Jao Felix and, and Morata tonight. I mean, there's not many teams in the league that can compare with four substitutes like that. So that's where you'll see kind of maybe a Getafe and a Villarreal who don't have the biggest squads, who have kind of ageing squads. They may struggle um, in the last period because of the physical and mental fatigue that they'll face when having such quick games in quick succession. So, yeah, it's definitely something that, that I'm noticing as the league goes on. So I, I want to highlight one, one final point. If, if you look at, at the payrolls here, Hatafe is at $56 million compared to Real Madrid, 650 So they are about one-twelfth uh, or one-eleventh. Um, so they're kind of one Christian... Uh, not a Christian Bale, a uh, Gareth Gareth Bale, um, right. <laughs> away from. Uh, so, so they are the Christian Bale Batman for me, uh, as as it relates to that. So, I just can't get over how a team with such a tiny payroll can can stick it out, and that probably dictates their style. But even Real Sociedad, who's been sinking like like a rock, um, that at eighty one million is still doing quite well. So um, that's something that I was, I was really struck by. Are we all in agreement? Sorry, go ahead, Scott. Oh, just a very talented, young, cheap roster for Real Sociedad. And they've done a really good job finding the right loans, uh, bringing in the right players, and, and developing their own talent. So are we all in agreement that Hitafe and Villarreal will get those Europa League spots for sure? I think Real Sociedad is still in the chance because... Villarreal play Barcelona, Getafe, Sociedad and Real Madrid four games back to back. I mean, Santi Cazorla can't pull the strings in all of those games. Uh, True. 34, 35, whatever he is. I mean, there's going to be twists and turns, I think. I don't think it's as set in stone as we think. Yeah, I, my sense is that the, the race could be determined by winning once or twice uh, with, in the balance of the last five or six games. That that could determine who the winner or who, who gets those, those slots personally. And I just think that fatigue's got to set in at some point. I mean, it's crazy what these schedules are, but maybe, maybe they got your, your, uh, your mindset, Alex, and uh, it's all good. So uh, they'll, they'll be like Duracell bunnies. They'll just keep on going. <laughs> you know? We will have an exciting end to La Liga. Lots to look forward to. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. A big thank you to Chris, DJ, Rudy, and Scott for your awesome insights today. We would also like to thank Total Football Analysis Solutions. Go check out their website, www.totalfootballanalysis.com. They are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. See you next week, and hasta luego.